0: Welcome to the Holy Donors Podcast. Join Andrew, Matt, Wren, and me, Thaddeus, as every week we bring you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. So, Andrew,
1: you ready to get started? Can't wait. So we're going to fast forward to June of 1981. The U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear Brother Leo's appeal, thereby affirming the rights of the Texas relatives to retain control of the foundation. A couple of good things to come out of this. As Mrs. East, as Sarita Kennedy wished, the ranch headquarters ultimately did go to the Oblate Fathers. It's being used today as what's called the Leb Shomea, House of Prayer. That comes from Hebrew, meaning listening heart, and it's run by the Oblates as basically a house of silence, which is pretty cool. I think, there's, I, think I read about it. there's like 20 rooms available, and you can book it for a night, or you can book it for six months if there's a room. They have meals. It's all in silence other than mass. And people just go and meditate, pray, reflect, sit in the Gatling Gun Tower, and it's a beautiful place. So that's what the house is used for. Wow. The other thing that happens in 1981 is that because that the ruling is upheld, finally, the foundation can be established and the assets from the ranch can be moved in. So all this time, 1960 to 1982, basically, the assets were held in escrow by the Alice National Bank, and there was no granting of anything out of the John G. and Marie Stella Kennedy Foundation. So in 1984, finally they make their first grant. Anybody want to guess what, keeping in mind all of what's happened over the last 24 years, what the first recipient of the grant, the first grant is that year?
0: Hmm. I'm going to go with the Archdiocese of Corpus Christi. That was
2: my first guess. That'd be
1: a good guess. The first major grant from the Kennedy Foundation was to the St. Mary's University School of Law, to name it the Sarita Kennedy East School huh. of Law.
2: After 20, what, 21 <laughs> years worth of lawsuits, the, the Legal first, the first oh. grant goes to help pay for more lawyers. Uh, to that's country. rich. <laughs> that's rich. Yeah,
1: maybe to do it the right way, though, right? Like, right, right. To train good Catholic moral ethical lawyers that don't try to weasel... Uh, old ladies out of their estate
0: so i found a review of this book in the chicago tribune Mm -hmm. from 1990 and it ends it ends with this the author writes brother leo himself said last year quote you would have had to have the courage of seven superheroes maybe to have done what i did see
1: he does not believe that he was wrong all of this. So right, so I have like kind of painted this as brother Leo was a scoundrel and and maybe that's the case, but in his mind, he believed that Sarita Kennedy wanted to put her her wealth to benefit the South Americans and the spread of the gospel down there. And she wasn't allowed to do that. Okay, so today the John G. and Marie Stella Kennedy Memorial Foundation is in existence. Um, it was started in the 1980s with $100 million in assets. Today, they have over $364 million in assets, and 10% of the income goes to Corpus Christi Diocese. 90% of the total funds go for religious activities, and 10% going to secular activities. The core values, the goal of the foundation, and this is from their website, is to nurture and advance endeavors which contribute to the following core values. Helping break the cycle of poverty, assisting people to help themselves, developing the Catholic faith and advancing spirituality, nurturing support and love for the Catholic institutions and cultivating a passion for learning, and fostering respect, encouraging cooperative-collaborative partnerships. So I would think that a lot of what Sarita Kennedy wanted to accomplish is being accomplished through the work of the foundation today, especially considering those core values.
0: I have a question about the money that goes to the diocese. Yeah. Is that, do you know, is it just an outright check that gets written to them every year, they're going to get it no matter what, and then they can just do with it what they will? Or do they have to actually make a kind of grant application saying, this is what we intend to use the money for, we're going
1: to you know, do this and this with it? Yeah, that's a good question. And I may be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure the requests still have to be made. And then they just know this is how much of our total we have to designate to the Diocese of Corpus Christi. Um I know when I worked here at St. Mary's at Texas A&M we would apply for funding every year and the Kennedy Foundation was extremely generous to us for many years and believe, I would believe still supports the work here at St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. So Super if,
0: gener- I was just thinking if if it's basically just kind of to the diocese's unrestricted fund, that's not a bad situation for them. Yeah. It turned out okay for them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, in uh, being a fundraising professional having unrestricted funds helps the mission go further because there's certain things that people don't like to give to. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not fun. It's not exciting. It's not motivating. Salary. Salaries are a clear cut one. Some people, they don't like to, to, to give towards building projects. Some people love to give towards building projects. So it just depends. However, for instance, salaries, you, you really can't have a mission without paying salaries. You can't have a mission without paying your electric bill. You can't have a mission without paying your your trash bill. All things that aren't aren't quote unquote sexy and fun and exciting, but right. but by receiving unrestricted gifts where they say, hey, use this to the best of your ministry, then you can turn around and say, okay, what do we need from the outside that can help us accomplish our mission to the greatest possible way we can? And one thing is to not have smelly rooms because you have trash cans full of trash, you know, and it's being able to pay a salary for somebody really great to come in and do wonderful work.
1: As you're talking about, the foundation is very active and they provide grants, You know, including those core values. They support Catholic school education. They provide tuition assistant grants to the Catholic schools in South Texas. Like I said, they support every diocese in the state of Texas and many Catholic and public universities. So super generous. And uh, I would say that Sarita's wishes are being followed still today uh, as a result of that. The ranch also Kennedy Ranch is still in existence 400,000 acres and it's kind of a great it's kind of a crazy ecosystem because it's comprised of four sections of landscape native prairie, brush country, coastal marshes and woodlands It even has a uh, has a beach along Baffin Bay's coastline.
0: Now as we're wrapping things up here, yeah. did any of the step siblings did they? How did they shake out?
1: Yeah, so a couple of the—I don't remember which ruling it was. Maybe the 1966 ruling. There were cash awards that were made to some of the descendants of sort of that Petra line of family members. Okay, so they um, got some compensation. some of the cousins, right? Yeah, yeah, got uh, got just outright checks and cash. So, yeah. So the ranch is still operational. They have uh, oil and gas production, like I said, wind energy production, hunting, cattle grazing. All of that contributes to the foundation's investment portfolio, which allows it to support charitable causes. So all in all, they're very active both on the ranch side and on the foundation side.
0: And are there are there descendants of
1: Mifflin Kennedy still alive? So the answer to your question is: There's no Kennedy line. There's the Turcots there's the East, there's sort of these cousin lines, mm-hmm. but in terms of the Kennedy line, it died with Sarita. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Kennedy generation was three, essentially, and now it's over. Fascinating. So crazy saga, right? So we start, kind of started this by saying that, that Sarita is, you know, kind of the ship in the ocean and there's just chaos and there's storms brewing all around her. And even after death, just the saga of these sort of lawsuits – and the court findings and the people fighting over the estate—they really did. It was just, just madness. I mean, just crazy. And a lot of cases just fueled by ego and by greed. Unfortunately, I think that all of that is, you know, far, far behind the foundation today. And they operate just as a amazing charitable foundation that's able to support the education and the promotion of the Catholic faith, which is what Serena wanted. So,
2: yeah, that's great. I, and I love, now that I know the story and I know the the heartache, uh, the extreme behind it, this idea of her being the calm in the storm or the, the eye of the hurricane, you know, whatever analogy we want to use for her, you can see it. I mean, she was the, she was the holy one holding it together.
1: Yeah.
0: He grew up as a slave in Haiti before being moved to New York City. Over time, he gained his freedom, built a hairdressing empire, and became a generous philanthropist. Hear the inspiring story of Venerable Pierre Toussaint on the Holy Donors
2: Podcast, Season 8, The Gentleman. Well, this has been a great adventure and a a, a great story about somebody, again, that I had no idea— was, was around and was, was such an influential person and especially in Texas, but now uh, across the U S and, and helping to make an impact well beyond her death. And so, gosh, it's just, it's been a wonderful story. And as, as we, we end the, the story, and of course we still have our next episode of our wrap up with little, little things and nuggets of what happened throughout I'd love to go back and look at this idea of was she a holy donor? You know, was she faithful? Was she humble? And did she give radically? And Andrew, I know you you did the story. You were the main researcher, so I'm gonna have you go last. But Rin, if you want to take over the the mic and go from there and and kind of give us your your two cents,
3: yeah. So I would say Sarita is a woman after my own heart. She liked the quiet. <laughs> <laughs> she liked being outside and away and barn dances and I I really identified with her story and, and just her lifestyle I guess yeah when I when I think about faithful humble radically generous she appeared to be all those things for you know we don't know tons and tons of details about her but from what you know what I heard you guys presenting uh, there was nothing that lead, led me to believe she wasn't any of those things right she obviously was humble she wanted to stay out of the limelight she didn't want her name up on stuff Obviously it was faithful. She was going to mass every day and made that a big part of her life and kept the faith in her family. And she was radically generous. She gave lots and lots away and supported lots of charities and the diocese especially and the oblets. So yeah, I would if I had to give her a rating, I would say it's pretty high. I don't have any reason to to knock her down. It's it's a little bit hard with, you know, so little detailed information about her life. But I'd I'd feel comfortable giving her a good eight and a half. Uh, out of ten coins in the collection basket as we've been <laughs> nice. as we've been going with.
2: Very good. Thaddeus, what do you think? So I think
0: on the radical generosity, I think there's no question that she's very high in that in that category. I do have a little bit of pause that she wrote a will now I'm not a person of means like like her. So I don't know what it's like to have those kind of means at one's disposal to to distribute philanthropically. But I do, it does give me pause that she wrote a will with the diocese as beneficiary and the OMI as beneficiary. And then she was influenced by this other party and then completely completely changed the beneficiary of her wealth, completely changed the direction of her philanthropic giving and her, and her planned giving. It still strikes me as a little bit... Odd that she would have given to the diocese and the OMI for so many decades and then would not have wanted to continue to support them after her death with her funds.
1: One thing that I found that was interesting is as the development of the foundation was sort of being created, as this relationship with Brother Leo was being developed and nurtured, she definitely felt the controlling nature of in particular the archbishop Garriga okay there in her later years so like him calling and basically chewing her out for not uh, introducing not not making you know some of these fundraising groups go through the diocese and there were a couple of other incidents where she was definitely rubbed the wrong way by him exerting what he presumed as pretty extreme control over her charity so
0: that relationship
1: soured mm, i would say so yeah To the point where, (laughs) this is not on her, but at her memorial service, there were multiple accounts that when he uh, got up to sort of give a memorial about Sarita Kennedy, he did not go gently into the night. And he skewered her for... Not in the mass. As part of his remarks about her. I don't know at what point. Maybe in the... Wow. Yeah. So, certainly not a... Uh, not a moment that he you know looking back on would probably be fond or be you know proud of but the relationship was definitely strained there at the end okay now that's not you know like I, does that justify no, but it's changing just, the will i don't know there's
0: another piece of the yeah. another piece of the puzzle so then i guess maybe but maybe her decision making surrounding writing the will maybe does that knock her down on the humility level um, that she let personal things get in the way of of doing right with her money, or, but again, who am I to who am I to say what she should do with <laughs> her money? I'm just trying to trying to weigh all these things. Yeah, and faithfulness, fidelity to the church doesn't seem like there's any question that she practiced her faith seriously, solemnly. She was orthodox. She didn't put her money towards questionable goals or movements. Maybe that's a good way to also think about her as a holy donor is her donations, what whether she'd gone with the 48 will or the 60 will, those were going towards holy causes. So there's no question that she was donating towards holy causes. Mm, and yeah. so because we don't have as much detail about her life, her inner workings of her being— we can't maybe comment on that, but we do know that she gave generously and she gave in a sustained way to holy causes. So I think that makes her a holy donor. So I think no question I would put six gold coins in the in the collection basket.
2: Seven. I'd put even seven. No question. <laughs> okay, Thaddeus. So six, maybe seven. Not not maybe seven. For sure. Hundred percent. At seven. least seven. At, at least, least seven. seven. Okay. You know, walking through, I I agree with both you and uh, Ren and and your pieces and how there is still some gaps in her life that that are unknown of uh, to be able to fully unwrap the three pillars, so to speak. I I think radical generosity. She gave away everything she had. I mean, and she gave it away intelligently. I think if we can dock her for anything, that would be that she didn't push it early on to come up with a good structure of how to give it away before before this thought of was she of right and sound mind at the end, but uh, that's minor. I mean that is so minor down the down the end. I could argue the other side saying she didn't care about that stuff. That she was she was all about giving it away as as quickly as she could to help as many people as she could. So there's that piece to it as far as uh, as far as holy goes, unquestionable that she was. Um, you know every little nugget you you heard about her. Pointed in that direction, and again, surrounded by maybe not the best of family to model and to to go from. So, so you've got. You're talking
1: about Spike Lee again.
2: I'm talking about Spike Lee. Uh, I'm talking about a grandpa, uh, uh, the other uncle who who tried to court the sheriff's wife. You know, all the that's but. Okay, let me spend the time that I want to say on on this humble piece. We don't know a whole lot about her, and I think we don't know a whole lot about her because she was she was, was of the mind, hey, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. I don't want any of this credit. Mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that was that. But there was one piece that you shared, Andrew, that I think is is moving and is is a great right way to wrap up who she is. And that was this this gentleman. He approached her. And said that I think he said his wife was in the hospital. Mm, yeah, and wanted asked uh, begged asked for two hundred dollars to help. Everybody around her knew it was a lie. Mm-hmm. Likely it was a lie, but she, in her heart of hearts, did not judge this man. Did not go to that conclusion, but saw a human being who needed some help. Gave the two hundred dollars. That was that was miraculous of itself. Mm. But then she turns around and asks about him regularly. How is that man doing?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And to me, that that is, uh, if I could grow up and be more like her <laughs> in that area of my life, mm-hmm. I need to. I really do. And so, as far as humble goes, she she blows it out of the water. So, you know, the ever pessimistic Matt in my my gold coins in the collection basket. I think she is one of the holiest donors that we've ever put together. What? Strictly from this, all these little pieces. She she lived a simple life. She didn't go way down and way up, you know, roller coaster like we, we've heard in other, in other donors. But I, I would give her a solid nine, nine and a half. Whoa. Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: Now I have to jump in here. Yeah. <laughs> I got to jump in here. Yes, yes. I'm chipping in another gold coin <laughs> after hearing from you because I'm thinking now about the families the kenadenios on the mm. on the ranch those were her children i mean that's how she treated them those were family and then i thought started to think about she went down on that trip to south america with brother leo to see those missions and maybe maybe what happened was she had cared for the kenadenios for decades and then she got down there and she saw like real poverty like mm. real human misery and she just said i've got to do something for these people i have to help them it was something that made her say, I have to give everything I have to to this effort because it needs so much. So yeah, good argument.
2: All right, Andrew. Yeah. She was your story. So uh, where do you stand?
1: Yeah. So this was a really interesting season for me because, uh, so I was researching Sarita and there were moments when I was kind of confused on whether I could do a whole season on just Sarita. Because I couldn't find, all the information I could find was on these these numbskulls that were around her, right? Like this uh, Uncle Spike and Brother Leo and Archbishop Garriga and all these people. Now, Mifflin, he was, the, the dude was like legit, right? Like, I mean, he started six businesses and they all, <laughs> I mean, he would be like the Elon Musk of today if, uh, well, I don't know about that, but... Uh, maybe he had somebody murdered i don't know i mean the jury's still out on that but like i was finding all this information about all these other people and just these sort of anecdotal stories about sarita and i had to really dig and so i was thinking like can we do a full season on just sarita or is it the kennedy family and i found something that was that kind of kind of put it all in perspective is was this line and i don't remember the source of this but the quote is that she was kind to the workers and quote, if somebody had a problem, they knew where to go. She paid to get the babies born, bury the dead and feed the hungry. She was called the Madrina, the godmother, because it seems she always had something for the children. So like, that's the sort of vision that I have of her now as this godmother. Did she have any children of her own? Tragically, no, but she had the Canadeno children. She had the children of South America through the foundation she had generations of children that she could care for and support through education and through allaying of their poverty. And so I think that her just steadfastness and just calm throughout the all of this swirling chaos and these storms, I think is it's a pretty remarkable legacy, honestly. So humble, super humble, radically generous. Yes, absolutely. I mean, she... Uh, like, can we go into all the reasons that she made these decisions at the end? And I mentioned earlier, in caring for the ranch, she was locked in on the finding vaqueros and making sure that the cattle were taken care of and like the the operations. But when it came to the finances, she was not good at that. She just didn't care about that, or didn't that wasn't her gift. And so, could she be sort of manipulated into making some decisions financially at the end of her life through these? wills and these codicils yeah absolutely she's just trying to do what's right and these people are saying you should do it this way okay i trust you and then on faithful i think that you know she just definitely definitely lived a life of faith and um will be remembered for that so i would say on gold coins i'm gonna go somewhere around nine say a good solid nine gold coins i think yeah holy donor.
0: You're doing it to me again. Now I'm I'm gonna chat. I'm gonna
2: don't succumb to peer
0: pressure. I'm gonna, no, it's not. It's not peer pressure. It's, it's good arguments being made. I'm gonna chip in another half of a coin. I'm up to 8.5, eight point five. Nice,
1: nice. All right. So what's our average, Ren?
0: Well, Thaddeus would stop changing his vote.
3: <laughs> so with Thaddeus upping his coins. Okay. And Matt said nine nine and a half. So I gave nine point two five. Okay, right. that's good. That gives Sabita an eight point nine one seven. Wow.
1: Solid.
3: Solid. Yeah. She
0: earned it. When we finish this episode, we're gonna put on that whiteboard, we're gonna put a bracket of all the people that we've done so far. And we're gonna figure out
1: who at least who gets to our final four. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, we've had some good ones.
2: We'll let those duke it out in heaven. How about that? The final can't wait. (laughs) wait. (laughs) All right, check us out next (laughs) week on our wrap-up episode. Tune in. Thanks, everybody.
1: Been real. Thanks, guys. I can't. I can't wait. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for this episode of Holy Donors, brought to you by Petrus Development in cooperation with Red Sea Catholic Radio. Theme music by Tommy Kibb, 3rd Top Productions. Graphics by 86 Creative. If you like us, leave us a review, share us with your friends. And check us out at holydonors.com and on Instagram. Holy Donors, bringing you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. Are you ready for a conference that brings together practical fundraising tools, a supportive community, and our Catholic faith? If so, join us for RAISE 23, the Catholic Fundraising Conference, June 19th through the 21st, 2023 in Louisville, Kentucky. You'll leave with new ideas for growing your organization's fundraising program and a cohort of peers to connect with for support and inspiration. One of our many great speakers will be Deacon Charlie Echeveri, who has served with Catholic Answers, Catholic Association for Latino Leadership, Tepeyac Leadership Initiative, and Scent Ventures. Deacon Charlie has also worked for companies such as AOL, Disney, and Univision. As a current CEO of Black Brown Collective, he will bring deep insights on diversity and culture in the church and fundraising. Register for Raise Twenty Three today at petrusdevelopment.com/raise23 and use the promo code Howdy to get fifty dollars off. That's petrusdevelopment.com/raise23 promo code Howdy.
0: What do cowboys use to move from state to state? They have to. Switch ranches. What's that? A yeehaw. (laughs) I think this is pretty clever. Did you hear about the cowboys that started a choir? No. Yeah, they weren't very good at first, but they practiced and practiced, and now they're an okay corral. (laughs) (laughs) This one is so bad. Andrew, this one is so bad. Can't wait. What did the Cowboys say at his second rodeo? I don't know what. This ain't my first rodeo.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, that is so terrible. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> number 48, on number 47 on this list. <laughs>